1: The first person i truly forgave was my father that was a long process and i knew i'd forgiven him because i fell in love with him again it was really intense like half my body was almost paralyzed and uh, i had it for five years and i struggled all the depression and everything but this is where i started to realize if this is how it's going to be for me and someone asks me how i'm doing i'm going to say great if this is how it's going to be for me. I'm just going to accept it. I think it's pivotal to understand that there is a power greater than, than us. Yeah, I knew God made that one happen for sure. And I walked away. I had tears and I, I was free. I was free of that. And the important part was I I completed it for myself. Why do people get stuck in life? Everyone's basically lost touch with who they are. Living a life that you're not you know you're not being true to yourself. If you understand that you're searching outside of yourself for what's already in you, but you're just thinking it's out there. It isn't out there, it isn't in substances, it isn't in money, it isn't in sex, it's not out there, it's in here. And that's what the dark night is. It's going into the human condition, it's being with suffering in such a way that it opens your heart, wide open. Mother Aya came to me and taught me some pretty humbling lessons. It took me three years to integrate it. When I started remembering all those lives, knowing that we were going to be shoved into atoms, we all telepathically said to each other, one last thing before we hit the density of forgetfulness, remember. <laughs> remember. I'm getting chills talking about this right now. I felt that first Bootho trip was me remembering
0: i think that's the true power of these medicines whether it's ayahuasca or bufo or mushrooms they bring you back to your soul they bring you back to the true nature of who we are do you think that everyone eventually will remember it hello and welcome to the james zander trip i have a very special guest for you today he is a transpersonal counselor energy healing facilitator, spiritual seeker, and psychedelic explorer. Through his counseling practice, he has worked with hundreds of people one-on-one. He joins me today to dive into his psychedelic experiences with LSD, ayahuasca, bufo, MDMA, his incredible mushroom experiences, his thoughts on synchronicity and God, his journey with overcoming addiction, his lifelong study of a course in miracles, the lessons he's learned around love and relationships, and much more. Please welcome Paul
1: Scott. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're so welcome, James. It was so great when you asked me to be a guest on your show. So, very cool. Thank you.
0: I'd love to start with the realm of the mystical. What were some of the earliest mystical experiences that showed you there was more
1: to this reality than meets the eye? Well, you know what's interesting? I think we're all mystical when we're young. And we may not know we're mystical because we haven't been brainwashed yet. And yeah, for me, growing up in England, there was a big pond. It was was like a small lake to me as I was quite young. And there was a forest around it. And I just had such a good time. And I was very in tune with the elementals, the fairies. For me, I just saw them. I communed with them, the spirits of nature. That was where it all started for me was there just tuning into the mystical realm. And it didn't take me long to get that my family didn't see what I was seeing. (laughs) And it was actually funny. Uh, My brother, who's four years older than me, we had a, a bunk bed. He was on top, I was on bottom, and there was a window. And I was sleeping one night, and I heard, I felt the vibration of an elemental calling me. And so I was like, oh, cool. I got out of bed, and I saw the lights coming towards me, towards the window, and then they formed pretty much like you would expect a fairy elemental to look like. It seemed feminine to me. She was beautiful. And we were communing. There was no talking. It was all done telepathically with um, vibrational information. And I was having a great time. I was so excited to see her. (laughs) I woke up my brother (laughs) because it was like in the middle of the night. (laughs) And I said to my brother, Victor, there's a fairy here. There's a fairy here. And he's like, no, shut up, go to sleep. But I was so insistent. And he looked and she was still there, but he couldn't see her. And I'm like, you can't see her. You can't see this. And he's like, no. And then he slapped me and said, get back to sleep. (laughs) And so, yeah, that was the first kind of experience of, yeah, others are definitely not seeing, not everybody anyway, what I'm seeing. Do you know why you were seeing them, but your brother wasn't? Well, I wonder about that. I mean, he was four years older than me, and he wasn't necessarily as tuned in to that kind of thing as I was. So perhaps he, being that little bit more older than me, I think I was about like five or six. So I was pretty sweet and innocent. He would have already been about nine, hit and ten. So I think we were maybe on two different wavelengths at that time he never told me he saw anything right and neither did my father had some interesting experiences sometime but my mom didn't really talk about this kind of thing to me
0: was there an experience in your childhood or
1: teenage years that was like the first awakening experience for you well you know it was interesting to me i got a validation that what i was perceiving as energy was real i was 17 and we were down in the south of England, and it was a really cool little square. They had the big stones in it, and I'm walking along. My mom and dad are a little ahead of me, and I step on this one stone, and I got a jolt of energy through me, and it felt like my hair lifted up. I mean, certainly all my hair was, and it felt like a big kundalini surge. I was like, Wow, that's pretty intense. And I stepped back and it left me. And then I stepped back on and it came back. And I did it a couple of times. Then I asked my dad to come over (laughs) and stand on it. I said, do you feel anything? He goes, no, nothing. So I was like, okay, here we go again. Dad's thinking I'm with the fairies. So we went to a a pub and there was an old fella. It looked like he'd lived in the village. And I took a risk and I went up to him and I told him what happened to me in the square once I found out he lived there. And he got really curious and he says, where was that? Exactly. And I, he wanted to know exactly where it was. And he goes, well, I'll be darned. He says, a hundred years ago, that was where the gallows were. And that was where people's necks snapped, right on that stone, right there. And wow. uh, I was still picking up the energy like a hundred years later of this gallows. And that was the first kind of awakening as in the sense of I could trust what I was feeling, that maybe I wasn't losing my, my mind after all.
0: It's like realizing you're sensitive to energies, realizing that your intuition is guiding you and
1: that it's real. Yeah, for sure. As far as the first awakening, the real first, you might say, awakening experience for me was I was pretty upset and disturbed when I was younger, and I was set up for addiction, that's for sure. I started at 12, drinking and doing any drugs I could get my hands on, and I did that till I was about 15, and had a few OD, like alcohol poisoning. I mean, I was really hurting myself. And it was at that time I got introduced to LSD. I still say today, LSD saved my life. It messed me up a bit, but it actually did save my life because those were pretty massive doses back then. That would have been in the early 70s. And for me, it was like, oh, now I remember. I remember who I am and reconnecting back to that child heart, right, of being in the oneness of things and just knowing that the divine is in everything. We're all one. Everything's interconnected. And it brought me back to that place again. And I was like, ah, oh, this is so cool. And that went on for a little while and I had some pretty intense trips. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, I just went, you know what, I'm done. And that was the summer before I went into grade 11. And all of a sudden, I just, it changed me. I decided to start doing yoga, weight training, meditation. I was reading all things spiritual. I was going in nature a lot. I had quite a practice that I was doing every day for a couple of years, and I also chose to be celibate, and I stopped all drinking, drugs, everything. I was just totally tuned in, doing all of this practice. at a gym, and I would be down in my mom and dad's basement doing all this. And I also went through metaphysical training. My mother and I were studying Rosicrucian. I was studying metaphysical practices. I think what was happening is I wanted to experience the same thing that the medicine had shown me, but I wanted to integrate it as an ordinary experience for living everyday life in, right? So anyway, I did all kinds of the candle flame, concentration, focuses. I used to do dead man's pose for a couple hours every morning. I'd get up real early, about 5.15 a.m., and I would do this whole routine of just relaxing my whole body. And then one day, I think it was two years I'd been doing this practice for, And I relaxed my body so completely, I just totally couldn't feel my body. And that was the time when the teachers would say, now start meditating. Now start your visualization practice and becoming, I used to love to be the clouds. And then I would become the clouds. And then I would be passing other clouds. And then I'd go over mountains. And the, the ultimate, I guess, what they were trying to head you into was if you go across a lake and you see your reflection. And I was able to do that eventually. And that was a spiritual experience. Like the peace that took me over at that point was amazing. And I think it was that time that I just started to relax and I went inside my body. Like I was inside looking at the shell of my body from the inside. And I was like, wow, I've never seen this perspective before. I'm always, you know, visually looking outside of myself I was actually inside, and I was like, did I just die? <laughs> you know, because you <laughs> wonder, right? <laughs> and there was a bit of a panic, but I thought, no, this is cool, you know. Just relax into this a little more. And I went deeper, and then I started to going, wow, it's really big in here. It's really big. There's a lot of space in here. And I had another little sort of, oof, this is interesting kind of feeling. And not just surrender into it a little more, go deeper. And then it just opened up into a cosmic experience. I was like, wow, it's just like pure awareness. I'm everywhere, I'm nowhere, I'm everything, I'm nothing, I'm all that is. And in that moment, I was just in unity consciousness. It was such a wild kind of experience of pure state of awareness. And at the same time, I was aware of this intelligence this energy that was divinely informing everything and vitalizing and giving life to everything. and was just a flow through a cosmic tapestry. And I was like, wow, that is, I guess that's God maybe, this divine intelligence we call life. And then I also felt what was holding everything together and everything apart, that kind of ether, and it was love. I thought, wow, love holds everything. So I had no idea how long I was in that meditation. And I woke up, I came to and it was dark. And I went, oh, this is weird. I had those clocks that had red lights in them, you know, those retro clocks, alarm clocks. And I went in to see what time it was. And it was 5.10 a.m. I started at 5.15 a.m. And so I went for 24 hours. I was like, gone. And I was like, Wow. That was intense. And then I was really excited about going outside and experiencing this state I was in was just so incredible. Yeah. That
0: sounds incredible. How long did that state stay with you after that meditation when
1: you went out into the world? Here's the interesting thing. Not as long as I would have liked, right? (laughs) Because you hit a state like that and it's like you just don't, you don't ever wanna. So I, I went out that day and I was having a unified kind of experience. And I was connected to everything. And I just felt like everything was actually love loving me. So if God was earth holding me, loving through holding me, that the wind in my hair was caressing me. It was God's love caressing me. And the sun warming me was enlivening, enriching it was, So everything felt. Like I was receiving this massive amount of love and everything was so quiet too. And I could hear all the elementals singing a chorus of bliss, really a chorus of gratitude for being alive, singing it to the creation and everything was singing. Everything was in celebration. And I was just like, wow, this is so amazing how everything is so unified and there was kind of a hush and I, I felt the elementals were very aware that I was going through something and they, whether it was a collective one voice, but they're like, he's remembering, he's remembering. Hmm. And then I was in this amazing state and I had a thought, like, it seems so natural to me to meditate, to do all these things. I don't know how, I had books, but I did this so naturally, it was like breathing to me. I was like, how do I know all this stuff? was other lies of course but at that point I didn't I didn't really wasn't there yet anyway I had this thought you know I'm going to go be a monk I'm going to go be a monk and I heard this inner voice very loud that said not this time
0: not this time
1: not this time and it scared the shit out of me honestly it was so loud and I thought I was losing my mind so yeah I mean I realize now that it wasn't my way this life. I was supposed to jump into the human condition and experience the full intensity of everything I possibly could. And perhaps that was part of my dharma, was to not only experience it, but bring this consciousness into everything I was experiencing and transmute it, alchemize it. Kind of, I realized I did the shaman's path. And that's what the shaman will do. We'll take on every illness of the tribe and experience it all and then become like the living transmission of that vibration. And it seemed that was my way. And that's why I had such a an incredible dive into, back into everything, codependency, addiction, looking outside of myself for power. Like I went into life full on. Wow.
0: So you went from this spiritual state where you were practicing meditation, doing all these things, and into addiction and into giving your power away. How did that transition happen?
1: Well, I used to uh, weight train with my buddies, and they all used to drink and do smoke dope and party and everything. and. And I was teaching them weight training and had a little gym, and I really got close to them. And they'd always go, hey, you want to go party, Paul? And i go, no, 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 you guys go ahead. And this went on for a while. And then one day, because I wanted to be with them, I'd been such a, kind of like a recluse, really, for a couple of years at least. And although I was going to school and everything, I felt like I was just so on my own path, right? that at that time I was like, yeah, you know what, I really want to hang out and experience like going to the bar with these guys and just being in life, right? And then it just slowly started to accelerate and, and I got deeper and deeper into drinking again. I never went where I went before when I was younger, but I definitely got into a variety of things.
0: What were some of the lessons that the universe
1: taught you through
0: the addiction experience? Compassion.
1: For the human condition, for sure. For me, it was such a dark night of the soul experience of going into human emotions and overwhelm and depression and, yeah, how I would show up under the influence of. I had a lot of fun, too. I mean, it wasn't all. there was a lot of good times as well, for sure. But at the same time, I felt disconnected. I didn't have that sense of who I was anymore and that unity connection was Barely there, not if at all sometimes, depending on how deep I went in, I was learning what it felt like to cut off from source, to cut off from my heart, to cut off from that place and be separate and deeper into the human condition, really. It's painful. Dark night of the soul, for sure.
0: For anyone listening who might be going through their own dark night of the soul, or who's going through addiction? Is there something you would recommend to them or something you could tell them that might help them?
1: Well, my feeling as a therapist too, when I have people come in and they're struggling in addiction, right? Of all different kinds, really. I'll always say to them, it's the fast track to awakening. You're actually, your addiction is your spiritual path. If you understand that you're searching outside of yourself for what's already in you, but you're just thinking it's out there and that you may feel that this can change your mood and help you to feel better, that's understandable, absolutely. And when you understand that it's actually a spiritual path that you're seeking, you're thirsting for wholeness, you're thirsting to fill the emptiness inside that you're feeling perhaps because I was so disconnected from my heart so disconnected from everything around me not feeling good about how i was showing up and a lot of things i did under the influence and it certainly it wasn't me that was for sure there's a lot of shame involved in it so yeah that's what i put out there if you're on the path of addiction you're probably desiring that divine connection you're desiring to come home to yourself you're desiring to awaken and the addiction as a detour or a way to fill the void. So it's just a matter of understanding what's really happening and honoring your journey and realizing that's what you're really looking for. It isn't out there. Is it in substances? It isn't in money. It isn't in sex. It's not out there. It's in here. So it's really a green light in to the pain. And that's what the dark night is. It's going into the human condition. It's being with suffering in such a way that it opens your heart wide open.
0: What was the turning point for you in getting out of addiction?
1: Well, my first marriage, I was married to my former wife. For 21 years, we were together. And we had some pretty wild times together. And I went through a variety of, of things. I was at that time... It was interesting. I was uh, when we met up in Prince George, I was a doorman at night and I was a financial advisor in the day. And I met my former wife. She worked as a legal secretary in the day and a waitress at night in the bar that I worked at. And that's how we met and got together. So we were partying a lot and we ended up moving down to the coast and going to Gibson's and I was. I was just kind of looking for work. I Eventually, I did some logging, and eventually I ended up on the BC Ferries, and I became a marine engineer. I did my apprenticeship, became a marine engineer. And that was a dark time because I wasn't happy. I didn't like what I was doing. I felt like I had a stepdaughter. I was married, and, and it just wasn't the way I had. Not that that's a bad thing. It just was not the way I would pictured my life not doing something I didn't love, not traveling, not being happy. And I was pretty depressed. And at the same time, we were pretty big partiers together. And eventually, oh boy, what happened to me was I pushed myself so hard because after I felt that I didn't want to be a marine engineer anymore, I went into real estate and I became a realtor on the north shore of Vancouver, and actually really pushed myself hard. When I started, I was with Royal Page At that time, that was the largest real estate company in Canada. And I was basically the rookie of the year. There was one guy who got a commercial deal through and put it on the MLS that beat me. But if you went by actual residential listings... So I was on fire, and I was quite successful. I had all the stuff that I thought was going to make me happy, the money, the house, the cars, the good-looking wife on my arm, and all this kind of stuff, right? And I was involved in some other coaching empowerment organizations, and I was a facilitator in there, and I was well-known, and I was all about positive thinking, and uh, it was a big deal. It was number one empowerment organization in Canada uh, context. So, I was doing all this stuff to beef myself up, to get ahead and get out into life and <clears throat> partied hard. And it just left me empty. I even bought a Remax franchise for the Sunshine Coast as well. And I remember I was going downtown to an award ceremony after it was all over, you know, it was fancy and all the rest of it. And I was driving back over the bridge and I wanted to do a left hand turn off the bridge. I'd never been more. Depressed because I had achieved what I thought would do it for me, and it didn't. And I had an existential crisis. I didn't know what to do with it, and everything started to collapse on me at that moment. Like everything went south. It was like I crashed and burned in every way possible. And then I had a health crisis. I had something called Epstein Barr blood virus. They didn't. I had to tell my doctor what I had at the time. And I got tested for it. It was really intense. Like half my body was almost paralyzed. I had it for five years and I struggled. Oh, the depression and everything. But this is where I started to realize that, hey, you know, you got to do something about your drinking because I'd have a drink, two beer or something like that. And I would be in a coma like for a couple of days because my liver couldn't process the, the poison in the alcohol. I did this quite a few times. And I went, wow, you better look at what you're doing here, Paul, because You got a problem. And then my wife sobered up and she was sober for a year. And she said, you know, Paul, we're we're never gonna make this marriage work until you sober up.
0: So that was a wake-up call for you.
1: That was where it started for me. Yeah. I went into Alcoholics Anonymous at the time, more because she told me to, not because I wanted to. (laughs) There's a big difference. I did it for a year. I had a few slips and then we call it your turning point or your moment of clarity. And it was weird. It wasn't crashing cars or fights or any of the wild, crazy stuff I had done that you would think would get me, right? I guess I was ready. I was at an award ceremony and I was sitting at a table as a realtor and I there was a bunch of very nice people sitting around the table. I had a drink. I felt okay. I had two drinks. I noticed my voice was getting louder. I noticed I was starting to tell jokes. (laughs) And they were being kind. They were being nice. And then I had like four, five, six. And I watched my behavior change. It was like I was watching someone else. I was observing myself doing this. And I could see the looks on all their faces and how I was impacting them and what what was happening to me. And it it was like a moment of clarity. I saw it for the first time. I actually really saw what was happening and what it was doing to me, right? So that was my last drink, and that was 30 years ago. Wow,
0: 30 years of sobriety. That's
1: amazing, Paul.
0: Mm-hmm. When you were in that dark night of the soul going through epstein Bar, how did you keep yourself going? How did you not lose faith that things would turn out okay?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I just took it one day at a time. I don't know where I found how to keep going from day to day. And then this went on for a while. And you know what was interesting? Something happened to me where I think I hit another crossroad where I went, you know what? If this is how it's going to be for me and someone asked me how I'm doing, I'm going to say, great. If this is how it's going to be for me, I'm just going to accept it. And something happened where I shifted something pretty internal i think inside of me and shortly after that i met the right natural path an amazing doctor he wrote a book eating alive and louise hay used to come to vancouver at that time and live and i was doing her work you can heal your life and that really opened up my eyes to how the emotions can affect your physicality can be at the root cause. I never even thought about that until Louise Hay and her work. And the naturopath said to me, you know, Paul, if you follow this program, and it was really intense, I'll have you on your feet and going in three months. And I think it was the combination between his medicine approach and Louise Hay's doing the personal counseling that shifted everything for me. And in three months, it was gone out of my system. Matter of fact, they even took my blood and it wasn't there. And they were like, how's that possible? But it was hell going through it. And I just did one day at a time until that point. And it's probably one of the best things that happened to me. You look back in retrospect and go, well, I wasn't happy. I was in a lifestyle that was just all wrong for me. And it wasn't a good thing. So although I got my health back, my whole life had collapsed bankrupt, divorce. My wife wanted a divorce at the time. I mean, we separated. And by that time, I'd been sick for five years and it was really hard to work. I'd done okay, but not enough to keep everything going. And then having to search out my own, trying to figure it out, who can help me and having to pay for it all because the medical system couldn't help me. They just said, rest, drink water, that's it. And so I had to figure it all out for myself. That was tough. But it changed me forever. Because after that, I was like, you know what? I'm getting out of real estate. I'm going to change my life. But what that all, just to complete the thought on that, where that brought me was once I lost everything, (laughs) I had enough money to pay for the ferry to go to my parents' place. And I went over to my parents' place, and I was staying in their basement. I also remember I was laying in the bed downstairs, and this song was playing, it's another tequila sunrise. How I got here, I have no clue. <laughs> you know. And I was I just went, yeah, like I had a car, I had a wife, I had a house in West Van. I was an award-winning realtor. I had a night my own office, on and on and on. And here I am, like back in my mom and dad's basement <laughs> and feeling really, really messed up. And then it happened. I had a what people would call a complete psychotic break, but it was my breakthrough. And I literally went out of time and space in that moment. My stress, my heart just about beat out of my chest. My mind was like a V8 engine. And I just literally snapped. And I was out of space and time. I couldn't feel my body. I was in absolute blackness. And I couldn't hear my voice. But I screamed out of terror you know, from my very being. And that was probably the greatest prayer I ever said, you know, help (laughs) me, you know? And I was back in my body. I have no idea how long I was out. I was back in my body and I was here, but I was in incredible pain. I felt like my molecules had separated and I was in a different kind of body. And But I was so happy to be back in my body But at the same time, I was so frightened to go back to that place that I did a mantra for three months nonstop let go, let God, let go, let God, let go, let God. Because I didn't want my mind to go for even a second to take me back there. So I literally for three months kept this mantra going, right? Let go, let God, let go, let God. And it was a really wild experience of being in my body in a whole new way. I could also read people's, I could hear people's thoughts, which was disturbing to me as well. I would walk around and I could hear what everyone was thinking. I didn't have any sense of me. It was just the boundaries were gone.
0: How long did that last for?
1: Months, months. And I wow. thought I was going to lose my mind. Yeah. thought I was going to lose my mind probably about maybe five, six months,
0: So the mantra kept you grounded. Where did you find that mantra or what led you to that mantra?
1: I think it was, I probably heard maybe it through my wife in AA or it was through yoga when I was studying yoga. Not quite sure where that came from. It was probably AA, let go, let God. It's one of their slogans, right? Let go, let God. And it was, yeah, it worked for me.
0: Were you seeking the divine at that point? Were you seeking God, a closer
1: connection? No, no. I had completely disconnected from God until that moment that I was in the void and I screamed out from my very being for help. It's like the old saying, you know, there's no atheists in a foxhole, right? <laughs> because, yeah, because once you're in trouble, <laughs> you start praying pretty quick. You do. And it's like you just, there's an instinct that we all have to just pray, to connect to something greater than ourselves in that moment. So that was definitely big for me. And that reconnected me, I think, back into source. And I was supposed to experience that. I was supposed to experience it all the way to the separation wound itself, perhaps. Like I need to go that deep into it. And I did. I went all the way in. And then I guess I'd done what I I needed to do in that area. And then it was a matter of now coming to You know, yeah.
0: After experiencing the void and you're still living in your parents' basement, you're doing the mantra, what was the next step
1: in your life journey? I got back into real estate again up the coast (laughs) because I didn't know what else to do, right? And I was like, well, I might as well sell real estate here. That's how I kind of fingernail by fingernail started to get myself back into my life again. And then believe it or not, at some point when I was starting to feel like I was finally getting my life back together, my ex-wife showed up again and I went back with her. <laughs> right? <laughs> like I didn't have enough punishment the first time. <laughs> 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 and I went back into and moved back to Vancouver. And yeah, that didn't work out. Isn't it funny how we
0: go through these cycles? Right? We come back to the exact things that we had already decided were not working, and yet we circle back around for round two, (laughs) round three.
1: Well, you know, they have stories in AA. There's some funny ones from the podium, and they have one story. There's two doors, and there's one door with a real bad character with a baseball bat behind it, and another door that it's just a a road to a happy life, a nice path, birds singing and all the rest of it. And the normal person, not in addiction, opens the door with a guy with a baseball bat and he gets smacked with this bat, closes it right away and goes, geez, I'm not, I'm not going to open that door again. So he goes to the other door and opens it. And then it's just this beautiful pathway new to a much better pathway. Away he goes. Now the alcoholic or the addict, right, comes, opens that door, gets hit in the head, closes the door and goes, was that a guy with baseball bat? And then opens the door, gets hit again, and goes, he had a bat, right? And then opens the door, and it's like, whack, 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 whack. And finally, he opens the door, and the guy's gone, and he goes looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> and we all laugh, because we can all relate. It's addiction. It's insanity. It makes no sense.
0: Doing the same thing, expecting different results, yeah.
1: Yeah, insanity is repeating the same thing, expecting a different result or redoubling your efforts when you forgot your aim. <laughs> what finally made sobriety work for you? Because you
0: said you've been sober 30 years, which is an amazing achievement. Mm-hmm. What kept you grounded in that?
1: Yeah, I think when I shared the story of when I got back together with my partner and I was at a real estate event, there was a friend of hers and they were both in AA and we were coming in a car. We were talking, this event, we were talking now, I was laughing, telling all these crazy stories of everything I used to do. And I heard myself talking, going, you know, that's pretty, that's insane. That's not actually funny at all. That's messed up. And then I got the story I shared with the table, and then I saw myself. And that was when I really threw myself into the program. And I did everything I could. I went to meetings, the big book, did counseling. Like I was doing everything I could to stay sober. And then at eight months, I was really emotionally toxic. So I actually went to a treatment center for a month. And I was the only one in there that wasn't detoxing from booze like or drugs. I'd already been sober for eight months, but I was going nuts. I was emotionally toxic. I really threw myself into that program for a month. And they had you do the five steps of AA, and that you did counseling, and it was mixed. It was men and women at that time. And they had a very high success rate. It was a great program. And I went and did my fifth step with a biker, and I didn't like bikers. I used to get in a lot of fights with them. I thought, God's got a sense of humor giving me this guy. And I sat down with him, and he saved my life. My father had been very violent. My father was a professional boxer. He was also a gang leader in Glasgow. He had no parents. He was raised on the street and he was he didn't know how to be a father and he kind of raised me like a gang member, not a not a son. And it was an interesting just the relationship I had with my father was really bizarre. Because, on another hand, he also drew, introduced me to yoga, to if that makes sense, meditation, weight training, all these things, you know, later. But yeah, I told this guy, I shared my heart and soul with him. And he said to me, You know why you didn't like us guys? Because you're just like us. And he told me, Everything I said to him, he said, yeah, well, it's just like you're in a gang, right? We, I would have done that. And he normalized everything for me. And I was like, oh, my God. I walked out of that fifth step, they call it, right? A different person. And I know, like, I opened the door, and the way I say it is my life went from black and white to color.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: walked out into the day, and I was blown away with how bright everything. I was back again to... The place I remembered before all this happened. So he changed your life. Changed my life. That day in nature that I had in the oneness of all things, I was back there again. I come back. I was so amazing. I was walking along and I saw a tree bearing fruit. It was kind of like almost the end of summer. And I'm walking along and I saw this bear tree, you know, when they've lost all their leaves, I guess it's getting into fall, but they still have fruit. And I went, oh, that's like me. I've been a barren tree bearing new fruit. I felt mm. like God was talking to me. And I walked down past the pub and this very alcoholic older woman, God bless her soul. She was drinking a beer and I could see her through the window. And I was in a different state. So I could see the longing in her heart to fill this void. And she was drinking this drink. And then there was this other energy, very dark, sucking her soul energy out. And I went, there's the spiritual void that everyone's trying to fill in addiction, that emptiness inside that nothing can fill. And then I walked a little further down and a guy was drinking beer on a wharf and I was watching the lake and he had a paper bag full of cans. And I was looking at the lake and I was in the state, right? I was just blown away by where I was. And I went over to this guy after a while and said, I hope you don't think I'm a born-again Christian type of dude, right? I said, but I just came out of a treatment center, you know, and I'm amazed at where I'm at right now. And he looked up at me and he said, I've only had one beer, and he had a, a, like it was full of empty cans. And I went, right, denial. So it's a sickness of the soul for which there's only a spiritual solution, and it's a denial it's an addiction of denial. You don't understand what you're dealing with. And that was a really wild kind of insight into the more mystical side of addiction and what I'd been dealing with. But yeah, after that, I just remained sober. I ended up leaving that relationship, my first marriage, and I wanted to be a therapist and she wasn't too keen on that. So I basically said, well, that's what I feel called to do. I'm going to go back to school, and I'm going to do this. And she said, well, not with me, you're not. So I said, okay, and I left. You've been a transpersonal
0: counselor for over 20 years, and you've helped hundreds of people. You've worked with hundreds of people one-on-one. What are some of the common patterns that you see? Why do people get stuck in life? And what is the key that unlocks their transformation?
1: You know, that's a great question too. I think the common denominator perhaps is everyone's basically lost touch with who they are. And in that disconnection, living a life that you know you're not being true to yourself, you feel a disconnect, you feel like you're living life for others, or a lot of people come in with unresolved trauma. They haven't taken the time to really be with themselves and how they're really feeling and what's really happening. And they've been just kind of denying it, moving on and trying to do whatever they think will bring them what they're wanting, right? And they're just getting further and further disconnected. I think that's a lot of it. A lot of people come in with health issues too, because I'm an energetic healer as well, right? So that's why I love transpersonal counseling. I mean, I was a counselor. I was a personal coach for quite a few years. Then I was a counselor. Then I moved into therapy, clinical therapy, and did the transpersonal training program. And then I just kept expanding with energy work, meditation, breathwork facilitation, constellation family systems, trying all different kinds of things, got involved in different technologies, light, sound, electromagnetic. It's really cool. So I just kept expanding and deepening. And I I wanted to try all this stuff. Me and Kathy, we were having a good time with all this stuff. And we'd always try everything. And if it worked, hey, let's share this with somebody. This is great. And that's kind of how we did it for quite a few years. And so if we found things we liked and it made a difference for us, then we would share it with others
0: has there been any tools that have really
1: transformed your life or your and kathy's life that you would recommend to others Mm -hmm. well for sobriety if you're someone out there struggling with addiction again perhaps AA isn't for everyone and there's other ways of approaching sobriety but for us for kath and i that was the best way so we really threw ourselves into Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I got into, I was thinking I was three, two years sober. And I got given a Course of Miracles. And it's like a Christ conscious download, you know? And I kind of got it in a strange way and I wasn't sure what to think about the Course of Miracles. <laughs> kind of kept it by my bedside for a while and then it started speaking to me and then I finally opened it because when I first looked at it, I thought it was very Christian. And I had had an aversion with Christianity because at 18, I had this experience of oneness, right? And then at 21, even though I was in addiction, I had a very strong born again experience with this girl I was going out with who her father was a minister in West Vancouver. A fundamental kind of Pentecostal guy, right? And I had such a powerful experience with him, with spirit. To this day, it's still the most powerful experience I've ever had. But when I had that experience, I'd already experienced the Eastern side of things, the oneness, the meditation, the yoga. So I had both sides and I started thinking to myself, it's too bad the Buddhists don't understand they've got a personal relationship with the divine in the heart. And too bad that Christians don't understand they're infinite beings. <laughs> if you could put the two together, it'd be really cool, you know? And I remember thinking that at the time, and I was in the church for a while, and I didn't feel like, for me anyway, that I could find Jesus, much of Jesus in there. The experience that I had with the Spirit, it just, for me, it wasn't in the Bible, it wasn't, I couldn't see it around me, and I left the church. So it left me with a certain kind of flavor around Christianity at the time, but never my relationship to the Christ. That was never in question. But like Kathy would say, I I love Jesus, but I'm not too sure about some of his followers, his fan club. <laughs> and so when I picked up the Course of Miracles in my early sobriety, it had kind of Christian connotation to it, and I thought, mm, and that's why I put it down. And then I was told. Guidance said, No, pick it back up, Paul. And so I did. And I realized they're in the glossary. It's totally different. Even though they're Christian like terms, some of it, it's a totally different meaning. And once I figured that out, I just threw myself into it. So, you know, I've been a course student for almost as long as I've been sober. So that was huge for me. It really supported my journey. And of course, I threw myself into my own healing and became a healer myself, so counseling, AA. I had a strong spiritual program that I had. I was also sponsoring, helping a lot of people, doing a lot a lot of that, too, getting out of myself. Yeah, so it was a combination of a whole, whole bunch of things.
0: Can you talk about some of the lessons that you learned from A Course in Miracles, something that you can share with people?
1: Yeah, boy it's for me i felt like i was remembering on such a profound level who i truly am and there's one lesson called i am as god created me perfect whole and complete loved loving and lovable and i'm not a body i am free for i'm still as god created me that was another one so i started to really through The Course of Miracles get a connection back to my sovereign self, my divine, my divinity, my own kind of Christhood, right, as we all have in our heart. So it was, for me, I guess, the very first, the workbook lessons, I got a textbook, a workbook, they start talking about nothing in this room is real, nothing I see is real, and just start taking you step by step about waking up to the illusionary, maya and starting to understand and slowly separate and the course would talk about we made this place god didn't we made it we created this place this matrix and we chose to experience separation there was no fall there was no we weren't thrown into hell and all that crap so it had a whole different connotation to it it didn't have any of the kind of heaven and hell Fire and brimstone, kind of a vengeful God. It was a purely loving God of love. Love is God. God is love. And through the workbook lessons, oh my God, practicing those every day, it was just slowly starting to deepen my connection to my heart and to source in a very practical, almost like a logical, linear way, in a way because you're practicing three, the workbook 365 days of the year. And it brings you to the point where at the very end, in the textbook they call it the vision of Christ, but at the very end, Christ is actually the one channeling and talking to you the whole time of that year. And he says, I now leave you in the hands of the Holy Spirit, may, you know, and the Spirit will guide you in everything that you do, so always ask for direction. And that guidance is available to you always. And I'll never leave your side, we're going home together. It was beautiful. But a lot of people, I ended up doing it so many, I think I did The Course of Miracles five times, which is kind of almost unheard of. And that's the textbook and the 365 days of, and my therapy training was A Course in Miracles, clinical counseling and the sweat lodge way so i did three years of sweat lodge and i went on a vision quest did the course of miracles and my clinical training was all part of my three-year program to be a transpersonal counselor so i got a lot out of the indigenous way as well it was pretty powerful the indigenous way can you talk to me about that yeah, doing sweat lodge. So I was doing regular sweat lodge. Like I was part of a sweat lodge, and you go sit in the lodge, and you basically sit with the hot rocks. You bring in the the grandfather, grandmothers, and all the spirits come in. And you know, you have a pipe carrier, who medicine carrier, and you do go into deep prayer, and it's really powerful. You know, very humbling, and that was a powerful way a path. And then at the end, we all went on a vision quest. So we went into the bush and we weren't allowed food or water for like almost four days. And then if you're really tough, I didn't do it the first, I did it for most of the first night naked in the bush, but I was getting cold and flies were attacking me. (laughs) So I pulled the tarp over me and then I was giving myself a talking to you the next day. You, you take your tobacco and you pray all night you can't go to sleep you stay up all night you pray for yourself for your relatives for the planet for the nature and then in the day in the morning when the sun comes up you smoke your prayers in the pipe the peace pipe to great spirit and then you're allowed to sleep so yeah i did that and then on the fourth day a vision occurred and it was very powerful it was very life-changing for me and then you had to go back after all of that and do a sweat lodge <laughs> you know after all of that by that time you're in a different realm it was a very powerful are you able
0: to share what that vision was or was it pretty personal
1: too no no actually i you're not supposed to share all of it but i can share some of it for sure and it was the fourth yeah it was the fourth morning i think and it was daytime and i had my flat four prayer flags and my pipe smoking my medicine and everything. And you know, speaking of that, every night I was near a coyote den. So the coyotes would all come and they would all sit around me and their eyes would be all green and they'd all be looking at me and I'd be going, Nice doggies, nice doggies, you know <laughs> They were just curious. They never bothered, like they never did anything to me because I think they sensed what I was doing. I did manage after that to stay in integrity with what I felt I wanted to do for the rest of the journey. And so on the fourth day, I'm there and it's the day. And all of a sudden, the sun goes black. Or Actually, before that happened, it started getting smoky. And I'm like, "Hmm, things are getting kind of smoky. I was starting to enter vision. And then I looked up and the sun went black. And I thought, nobody said there was going to be a full-out eclipse of the sun. Like, I would have known that, surely. Then I got it. Oh, I'm in vision, right? I'm envisioning right now. I'm in another, I'm in the spirit realm. So the sun went black, and then this dot came out of the sun, and it came towards me, and it got bigger and bigger, and it turned into raven, this huge, huge raven, which raven is the carrier of the message from the void, from the mother. So Raven is considered the message carrier from the void and then Raven turned into Thunder Eagle this huge thunder eagle that just exploded into light and the black sun turned into a like a high definition plasma TV of the new world what this planet is going to look like and there wasn't nearly as many people but the people that were on this planet like the planet was so beautiful it was full of birds and fish and animals, and all the people were in harmony, and the children were happy, and it was just an incredible world that I saw. And it felt like that's where we're heading.
0: When you look at the planet today, what are your thoughts on the evolution of the
1: planet right now? (laughs) Well, that's the question of the day, isn't it, (laughs) right? There's so many opinions. What I find interesting, right, what I find interesting about the time we're in right now is this is the only time in history of the planet that we're aware of anyway, that every mystery school, every indigenous culture, even 6,000 years ago, the Essenes of which Yeshua, Jesus Christ, was an Essene, they, 6,000 years ago, were pointing to this date of 2012, 21. And so were all of the indigenous nations. And they're all saying this is the start, or the Mayans call it year zero, the start of the end of time consciousness. There's going to be a shift, a collective shift in consciousness on a massive scale. So the next awakening is gonna be a planetary conscious awakening. And this is what they all have been predicting so yeah, that's what I feel is happening, and I'm lucky that Kathy and I, right, were together, and I've heard it called dissension symptoms, whatever you want to call it, but there's a lot of people that are starting to come online, and there's a lot is happening and quickening, and there's a lot coming up right now for anything that was seeded with fear, anything of the old has to crumble, like the phoenix energy, right, for to come out of the ashes of the old, the new. Everything needs to happen this way and all these structures are gonna crumble and people are going through a lot of intense healing and a lot of emotional stuff is coming up for them because it's supposed to. The vibration is raising, things are quickening and people are going through an awakening process and a lot of people don't understand what's happening to them, but they're a part of it too. And it's like everybody is in a different place with it all. So I think the planetary consciousness is awakening, absolutely.
0: I think part of it is also trusting that there is a divine plan and that we're all being led by spirit. What would you say is the key to trusting higher intelligence and not resisting the clues and the signs that are pointing
1: us towards our own destinies. Well, you know, it's really interesting in Sanskrit, or, or not Sanskrit, in no Aramaic, when John the Baptist used to say, Repent, repent. You know? In Aramaic, it means turn within.
0: Turn within, go inside.
1: Turn within, and make straight the way for the Lord, meaning go inside, get quiet, part the ways, which that really means is be with what is happening inside of you physically, emotionally. Be with your thoughts. Be with your feelings. Be with the physicality of your body. Be still and know, right? Know I'm God. Know who you are by becoming, making that decision to transition inward instead of looking outward, right? And going in and starting through the breath and presence and stillness, starting to learn how to alchemize and be with your emotion. So I spend a lot of time, of course, on my own journey, but with people around how do we alchemize density, lower density, trauma. And there's so many ways on breath work and energy work and prayer, meditation, nature, all of these things, ways to support yourself in this awakening process. But it's as simple as that, I think. It's just making the decision, everybody, to turn in and just be with what is without resistance. And in the sense that it's okay if you resist even. Just know you're resisting and don't resist that. <laughs> it's, it's right. Oh, I'm resisting. And to be, like we used to say in 12 steps, I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay. So I talk to people a lot about if you go in a finger trap, a Chinese finger trap, and you... Put your fingers in it and then write. Have you ever experienced that? And you try to pull your fingers out as you pull, it tightens around your fingers. The harder you pull, you could break your fingers if you, you know, but if you bring your fingers back together into the center, you get some wiggle room. Hmm. So, the way if you're resisting your emotional terrain and your thoughts, that's like pulling against the finger trap. So, when you say, I'm not okay, but that's okay right it's not about feeling good it's getting good at feeling
0: it reminds me of what you said about acceptance when you were going through 5 years of hell with Epstein barr that the moment when you accepted okay this is how life is going to be is the moment where things started turning around for you yeah good catch so it seems like the key is a deeper trust and deeper surrender to the flow of life
1: yeah i think it's pivotal to understand that there is a power greater than us. There is an intelligence that's orchestrating by design. And I think when I talk about the space for people, when you stop trying to judge and resist what's going on in your mind and your in your emotional content and just be okay with, you're not okay, but it's okay. It's about getting good at feeling, not feeling good. You're just... Developing an IQ for your EQ, for your emotional IQ. And a lot of us weren't taught how to do that, how to be present with what is. And the most powerful way to do it is stop resisting. If you can, stop judging and get still and start to presence what's going on in your body. Sensations, feelings, emotions. Kind of stop running and start facing things. And being with what it is without resistance. And again, it takes practice and it's like, choose again, choose again. Just keep coming back. And one of the most powerful ways too to get in the body, of course, is the breath. So I talk to people a lot about that. Just the most powerful meditation you can do to get in the moment and in your body is through your breath and I'll have them like put their tongue up the top of the roof of the mouth and then pull from behind with that pump, like when you're snoring, that pull from there, that's how we breathe when we're sleeping, and then pull the air up through and you'll warm it through your nostrils and you'll also take a lot of the impurities out of it and it's a much more effective way of breathing and then focus on the breath coming down your throat like from here to here, and that's all you need to do. And just hold your belly and breathe into your belly and create that space, right? So you're not resisting and pulling. And things will start to open up and you'll have your own experience of what's there when we're not in so much panic and fear and emotional craziness, right? And I look at it like meditation, like the way it was explained to me is imagine a pond with a beautiful, there's fish and coral and plants, and it's beautiful, right? And there's all these streams running into it, which are like thoughts coming into your mind. And you look at the surface, you can't see anything in the pond. But the moment we start getting still and thought slows down, the surface gets clear and we can see everything in the pond. And that's kind of like meditation. All of a sudden, instead of seeing we are being it, we are it, and it just opens itself up. And from that place, it's almost like self-evident that there's a power greater than us, this intelligence loving us there, holding us there. So I would say start getting a relationship, right? We don't care. How does that go? You either see God in all or you don't see God at all. Or we don't care what path you choose. Just choose one and make that decision. You're going to make that a priority in your life to connect to source, to go within. And with the idea of, yeah, I really want to know who I really am. Not the roles, not all the things I've been taught. But who am I really? What am I really?
0: And one thing that helps a lot to connect to the divine is psychedelics. And I wonder if we can go into that topic, because I know you have so much experience with plant medicines. Your first experience
1: was with acid, right? Yeah, LSD. And then I shared the experience where it took me, and it changed everything for me. It sure got me on my path, that's for sure. And then when I sobered up, I didn't smoke, drink, or do any medicines or drugs for 21 years. And then I had a vision of Mother Anaconda, Mother Aya, and I wasn't doing ayahuasca. She came to me and it was a wild experience. Just all of a sudden I was out of time and space and I was looking around and I was in like a jungle. I was in South America and it was all tropical plants and this big sort of like small lake almost. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, geez, yeah, this is cool. Where am I? And I felt like something was staring at me. And then I realized, I looked, and there was this mother anaconda was up out of the water about 8, 10 feet. And she was looking at me, like into my soul, so still. And I went, whoa, when I finally realized she was there looking at me. And I'm like, that is one big snake. But it's not a snake. This is an intelligence that's so far beyond that. And then she said to me, Come. And she went down, and then she, God, she was long, who knows, 25, 28 feet. And she was moving through the water. And she asked me to follow her. And so I did. And I'm thinking, What am I doing? This is a snake. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know what <laughs> You've lost your mind. And I came up to a cliff. And she said, go up there. And I went up and she came all the way out of the water. She was huge. And she looked at me and then she said, jump, come. And I, next thing I know, I couldn't believe I was doing this. I just let myself go into her and she wrapped around me and killed me, but it was no pain. So it was kind of like a shamanic journey to go beyond the fear of death, hanging on to the body. And so, Shortly after that, I got an invitation to go to an ayahuasca ceremony, and I thought, okay, yeah, I've had this experience with Mother Aya. I'm going to do this. So I went out with 18 other men up the coast, in and in a year, it was amazing. And the two medicine carriers, they were really, they had a lot of integrity. They were on the path. They'd done their homework. They'd studied with the medicine people, and I had an amazing experience, and Mother Aya came to me and taught me some pretty humbling lessons. And I loved the journey, it was amazing. It took me three years to integrate it. And so I didn't do anything again for three years after that first ayahuasca experience.
0: It was that powerful, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, for me it was. And I was just like, wow, that was really something. That was really, really something. And then three years later, that's when the toad, Bufo Alvarius showed up.
0: And that's the 5-MeO-DMT.
1: 5-MeO-DMT. And that changed everything. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't prepared for that. That's for sure. But that medicine got me here. Like, I mean, really landed. When Kathy did it first and I watched how where she went and what a difference it made it, for her. And she won't mind me saying this because she, she talked about it. But I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, the veil just come. it's like, it's zero to a million miles an hour in a second, right? It's like you're slung shot out into the cosmos. And uh, I loved it though. It was like I connected with the divine in such an amazing way. It was life-changing. So when I came back, and one of the things I haven't talked about is before we had done that, we'd gone to India to the Oneness University and had an awakening experience there that was very, very powerful. We went to a special deepening in uh, Southern India at the Oneness Temple. And that was like, we were there for six weeks. And that was another form of an awakening. What they said to us is, this is a neuro bio, an awakening is a neurobiological change in your brain that will quieten the parietal lobe because we're running the parietal lobe at three times the frequency it should be at in North America because the main psyche is in fight or flight and so the parietal lobe they called it they said it's the throne of the ego because the parietal lobe is what decides whether you should eat something, mate with it, or run from it like it's your cognitive place of deciding. And so that's how the ego consciousness houses itself in the brain. So what they would do in this process of preparation, preparing you is quiet down the parotel lobe and up the frequency in the frontal cortex. So all of a sudden you go from fight or flight, this neurobiological shift in the brain, and all of a sudden you're in your frontal cortex experiencing unity consciousness. And that was an incredible experience of another kind of awakening. And it was profound. We probably don't have enough time to go into it here, but the quietness that preceded that experience for both Kath and I was off the Richter scale. Just incredible. Just the mind shutting down and really being here. So I think when I had all these experiences and I went to that first DMT MEO5 experience, I was ready for something, whatever. I was open, right? And when I came back into my body, I had this realization that I have been here for so many lifetimes that it was such a shock to my psyche. You know, imagine someone they're going to a coma for I don't know, some people can be five years to 10 years even, and then there's the odd case where they come to. They don't bring their family in right away. I mean, they bring a psychologist in and they let them know and they don't give them a mirror because they've aged, their family's aged. Maybe some family members died. They're psychologically not equipped to handle that without some serious support. So for me, it was like, try eons of lifetimes, like try a lot of lives and realizing, and I'm not alone in this. I know many of them, probably yourself included, many, many people, many souls have been here a long time. But it was like such a shock to realize that. And it was so hard on the psyche. And at the same time, the kundalini was in full, like it was like somebody put a cable, a hydro cable up my spine, and it just blasted through out of my crown. And it was just, if you've ever seen someone when they've had a kundalini awakening, and sometimes it happens when we're teaching energy work and people will go into a kundalini awakening. And if they're closed off in any of the chakras, it will be this incredible force of electrical energy that will start to back up. And it can be quite serious. So you want to assist them in breathing and being present and kind of getting an idea which chakra is needing to be cleared to help them. So that would come through. But when you put your hand on their spine, sometimes I would say that there was one lady who was really good about it. And I got the students to put their hands on her (laughs) and you could feel like it going like unbelievable energy going up that person's spine. And that was happening to me. And it's not the first time I've had that experience, but it was the most intense I'd ever had that experience. And then at the same time, I'm having this ecstatic experience of bliss, which I have had no capacity for that frequency of bliss because we're pretty low density for the most part on the scale of what we're experiencing. And this was like so high a frequency that I had all three of these things going on at the same time. And I thought to myself, no wonder. And I've heard Osho talk about this. He said, if people say, oh yeah, I had this beautiful blissful awakening, they're not aw- they didn't awake. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. So anyway, it was in- an incredible experience. And I thought, yeah, no wonder that you should take like 30, 40 years of training to make sure your energy system, your nervous system can take that. And your psyche is prepared for it. And you're open enough in your heart to have that much bliss running through you.
0: Were you psychologically prepared for 5-MeO-DMT?
1: I think my whole life prepared me for that. And I think India really helped all the yogic training. Everything led me up to that point. And I was thinking to myself, this is what I thought I was going to get in India, although it was amazing because they said, come to the Oneness Temple for 2012-21. We guarantee you'll awaken. And there was 1,200 of us from all around the world there. And there was a few million Indians there celebrating with us. And they've been waiting for this moment for 6,000 years. It's a big deal. And so we were at the temple and and they had a huge firework show and they had a fair and it was an incredible experience. And that awakening was profound, but it wasn't like this, but it prepared us, or I can speak for myself, prepared me for this. So when that happened to me, I didn't sleep for 10 days, 10 nights.
0: From your first one?
1: My first one. Yep. Every time I closed my eyes, I would go Deeper than the Bufo trip, the original trip. You were still in it,
0: still in that space.
1: Still in that space, completely. And I was going out and out and out and out into deeper and deeper. I felt like, you know, instead of the incredible shrinking man, I was the incredible expanding man. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, but another part of me felt like a dragon free to finally fly through the cosmos, you know? So for the most part, I loved it. I only asked to have a break once and I got a short break and then I dove back in again. But after about 10 days of this, I was in these very high realms. I, I would imagine they were avatar realms. And I had this thought of my wife, Kath, and I thought, I wonder, way out there, I can't believe I had that thought out there of her. Incredible. And I thought, I wonder if she came in with me on this. (laughs) And it brought me back into the room. And I was just like molecules over the bed. She was sleeping in the bed, and I was just like molecules. And I was thinking, well, I'm sure I'll become a body at some point. (laughs) 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 And I did eventually. I did eventually get back into my body. But that was my first Bufo experience and from there on in we experimented with that for four or five years did quite a few journeys but we combined them and i really woke up to what medicines are all about like really woke up and i thought this is like for me anyway it's amazing what this is opening up the technologies that are happening with these medicine experiences and so for like about four or five years We were doing that, but we were also doing, and we did Jaguar too, and then we we were doing MDMA for integration, mushrooms for integration, and of course breath work, energy work. So we really got into supporting the medicines with all these other technologies to help the integration process happen. And it absolutely revolutionized our lives, both me and Kath. It's been profound, the difference. Yeah, profound.
0: Integration is so key, especially for these intense medicines. Yeah. What do you recommend for those who are maybe just venturing into that space? Do you have any advice for them?
1: Well, I think it's always important to make sure the person you're journeying with is an integrity and they hold good space, safe space. And the old, Adage, easy does it. I know some people have jumped full in, like, you know, I did. (laughs) But if the medicine calls you a certain way, you may feel that that's the way you want to experience it. It's really trust your own heart. And I think the medicine calls you. You don't choose the medicine, the medicine chooses you. So I think when people are starting to get the call, you can trust that too, because the medicine's already calling you and you're never going to get more than you can handle. But having said that, it is nice to ease your way in and do your research and make sure you're with a responsible medicine carrier. And I think also integration is key. So if we're just tripping to trip, it's not nearly as powerful as treating it like it, and it's actually a rite of passage. It's a spiritual journey. And the technology ultimately is just showing us who we already are. We are those technologies. But these teachers are teaching us. Now, if you're okay, I can get a little wild on what I'm going to share with you about this if you're okay with it. When I started remembering all those lives, you start remembering these lives, right? And Kathy and I remembered coming here as starseeds. There was a whole group of us that came here for this very transition. This is why we came to assist this transition and be a part of it ourselves because there's a quantum leap in consciousness that happens at these points in the cosmic cycle of things that you can get more growth as a soul than anything else you could possibly imagine. That's why you sign up for it. and. We remember coming in, trilling, knowing that we were going to be shoved into atoms and have our memories wiped. And we knew we'd do some bad shit because we'd forget who we are. (laughs) But eventually, we would remember. And as we were coming in just trilling, we all were telepathically said to each other, one last thing before we hit the density of forgetfulness, remember, remember. And then gone so i felt i'm getting chills talking about this right now i felt that first bufo trip was me remembering
0: it's incredible it's incredible and i think that's the true power of these medicines whether it's ayahuasca or bufo or mushrooms they bring you back to your soul they bring you back to the true nature of who we are do you think that everyone
1: eventually will remember who they are i do I do. You know what I love about the Course of Miracles? It says we all go home or no one goes home, or we all go exactly where we want to go. Yeah. It's perfect. But just to complete that story of the star seeds, when the memories came back, when we first came onto the planet, the elemental beings knew who we were and what mm. we came here to do. They were the ones that taught us how to be here in this realm. The medicines, the nature spirits, the original peoples of this world and the medicine were all a part of our acclimatizing to this place and understanding how to be here and the animal spirits so they all taught us knowing we were going to go into forgetfulness they knew what we were here for they knew we were here to assist ultimately this evolution that's occurring on the planet right now and so for me going back to medicines was like remembering again. Like it was like, oh, right, right. It's like rewiring, remembering, you know, showing us that we are the technology. This is all in us, right? I mean, that's a little wild, but that was my experience.
0: Talk to me about your experience with mushrooms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, I got a funny one. I think I shared this one with you before you thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, we used to do a lot of mushrooms when we drink and get high, but you know, it was all part of going out. It was just part of the deal. And I didn't do I did a fair amount, but not ridiculous amounts. I was usually drinking and doing a lot of different other things <laughs> when I first got introduced to mushrooms. So I was living in a house in Burnaby and there was three of us living together going to college. And one of the friends of one of the guys that lived there had gone to the Queen Charlotte Islands, and he had picked mushrooms. And apparently, they're some of the best mushrooms you can get in the world. They're very potent. It hide a or whatever. And I guess he'd been working all summer, and he got a big jar, and he dried these mushrooms down to pretty small. I guess he had it. I'm not quite sure the process he did to dry it all, but it was a big jar, and he had it on the table, and... I said to one of my buddies, "What's that?" And they said, "Oh, it's mushrooms." And I went, "Oh, cool!" And I got a, I got a uh, big spoon. So each spoon has to be probably a hundred mushrooms, right? And I go, oh. I took three of those, <laughs> and, uh, and the guy came in and he looked and he went, "Who ate my mushrooms?" Because he saw that I'd taken quite a bit. And I said, oh, I didn't. And then he flipped out. He says, like, we should phone the hospital. Like, do you realize what you've done? And I'm like, no, 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 I can handle it. <laughs> and then it hit me. And of course, I lost all control of my bowels and my urinary tract. <laughs> I don't know how I made it into the washroom, but I did. And I closed the door and I sat on the toilet and I couldn't control my bowels at all. Everything was just gone. And... I started to grow roots in the bathroom. Like I'm literally becoming this root system of big roots too. And I started to turn into a tree and I started to grow and grow and grow. And I was like one of those five mile high, you know, those trees that you see in the flat earther thing. I was that. And I had the full experience of being that tree. And communicating with other trees and other planets, and I was, like, gone for a long time. Must have sat in there for a couple of days. A yeah. couple of days? I think so.
0: Holy shit. <laughs> That's I couldn't insane. move. I couldn't move. Right? What did What does your friend think? I mean, <laughs> he's outside the door. He's wondering. Well, they kept. What's I locked the door, and
1: they kept knocking. I locked the door. I don't know why, but I locked the door, and I couldn't get off the toilet. So they other than they would break the door down, but they kept like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, somehow I would yell back to them. I think, "Leave me. A, I'm gonna. You know, I'm okay."
0: So you were a tree for several days.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I was just gone. But it was an amazing journey. I mean, I wouldn't do it again on that level, that's for sure. But it wasn't luckily you can't OD on mushrooms, apparently.
0: You really can't, but you can have a pretty intense experience. (laughs) (laughs) What what is the key takeaway from your experience there? Not to take spoonfuls of (laughs) random people's (laughs) shrooms. Random people's shrooms, yeah, I would say so.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, now if I do imbibe, it's a lot, you know, it's dosages that are doable that are complementary to other medicines or whatever I'm doing. I'm doing it with real, I'm focused, I'm, I'm doing it with reverence. And I love, I think mushrooms are amazing. They reconnect the pathways in the cells and to get everything working together in a whole new way. Yeah, mushrooms are amazing medicine.
0: When you compare mushrooms to LSD, what kind of differences or similarities do you notice?
1: Mushrooms were, for me anyway, more astral. It was more the astral realm. And I could still kind of function like with my surroundings and be more connected, unified kind of connection with everything. And a lot of fun too. I've had some great journeys on mushrooms. Whereas, LSD, for me, it's more like in the mental realm. It's like mushrooms are kind of an astral for me. Like they're the astro-emotional realm. And that's why things like ayahuasca, same, mushrooms, peyote, there's certain medicines that have us in the astral realms. So if you're not doing it in a good way with the right people and music and support, You can go into some pretty trippy places that you might not appreciate too much. Whereas with LSD, I mean, yeah, same thing, but different. For me, it was very much fractal, very much Christ kind of consciousness experiences of the atmic realm, that realm of consciousness, the mental.
0: I remember you once told me you used to stare at the flame of a candle on. ACID, was it, to train your concentration and your focus? Can you talk to me about that?
1: I might have done that on ACID, but when I was training, right, when when I was training that two years that I was doing yoga and meditating and doing all that, the metaphysical part of the training for focus, and I think this really helps on journeying because you have more of an ability to stay centered and to keep yourself in your intention. If you have mindfulness and you have that training to stay focused and stay centered, right? And so in metaphysical training, they have you train with the candle flame. So they start you like in a dark room with a candle flame and you look at the candle flame and you're not really looking at it as much as you're just sort of being with it. And then over relaxing your body getting your breath going and then close your eyes and see if you can hold the image of the flame in inner vision it starts to activate third eye and so once you get to the place where you can hold the image in your mind then they have you change like look at the different layers and start seeing more into what that flame is, and then the color spectrums of the different layers, and then they get you in the training to then start expanding the flames and deepening colors and learning how to be a kind of like a creator in a way you're you're starting to use your imagination to create and activate third eye and see right, and then what they get you to do in the training is that once you can do that, you don't even need to see the flame anymore. You just close your eyes and it's there and you can start doing things with it. And that's where you can go into deeper meditations now because you have the skill set of focus and concentration, you're disciplined for doing that. And then they get you to go into the God meditation, which is to focus on the gap between the flame and the candle and start meditating on where does the flame come from.
0: That's deep. So there's a space between the candle and the flame.
1: Yeah, it's pretty small, but you know, you can see it. You can see the gap, and then you go into that gap. Hmm. And you start meditating on that. So they call that you're starting to go into God meditation.
0: Tell me a bit about Jaguar. What is it, and what was your experience
1: with it? Well, I think I'm not an expert on the chemical derivatives Of the difference between, I think what you inhale is the same or what you're encephalating is the same as what you're smoking, right? When you smoke it or encephalate it, it's just different when you encephalate DMT MEO5. And I think that's what they would call Jaguar because you're encephalating it and it's a different journey then.
0: So it's like 5 MEO.
1: Yeah, it's like it is DMT 5 MEO. I think they make it more in a powdered form though. And for specifically that, for jaguar journeying medicine, or you might need to get a grinder, a good grinder and powder it because you're going to snort it or encephalate it. And the difference between that and vaporizing is it takes about mm, maybe 10, sometimes 15 minutes to come on and it can last up to 40 minutes, half an hour it's more of a journey into the unconscious and more things are happening in a different kind of way. Like the psychologists really love using that kind of medicine, not all, I mean, the ones that work with medicines, right, or some of the psychiatrists do, but I would say more of the transpersonal therapists, they like it because it allows the person to actually be more conscious of what's happening in their deeper psyche or their unconscious, and they can see and make decisions and make changes within that process and anchor it and integrate it a lot easier than encephalating because you're gone instantly and it may last for, depends on where you're at, 15, 20 minutes, maybe, you know. And it's just the amount of information that people are, you're getting downloaded with in those 15, 20 minutes is just off the Richter scale. So usually for most people, the retention, I mean, once you've experienced that, of course, you're never the same. Each time you go out into the field, you're really just going into the field, Right you're coming back different every time. But it does take, I think, a discipline. I mean, if you were working with proper medicine carriers, one of our medicine carriers was a Mexican shaman that we worked with in Mexico. And, you know, we did the frog in the pyramids, in the jungle, we did it on the beaches. I mean, we had some wild experiences with him. But he studies with the Bufo shaman where he they go in the desert and they get their, they milk the frog. It's the venom out of the, their backs that they have to protect themselves from predators. And you've got to know how to milk it properly because it varies in its potency. It's not like doing clinically made DMTMEO 5 which is more of what clinically they would use because there's no way to know in a, in a bufo dose what you're getting. You could have a little flake and just be bombing Have a lot and not really get much out of it. It would depend on how it was milked and how much is in it. So it's not as clinically the efficacy there for making sure you're logging and you can understand what's happening with the person in that medicine. You can't do it with Bufo.
0: Would you do Bufo today?
1: Yeah, I would actually. For Kathy and I, well, I should just speak for myself. We came to a place where I didn't do it for a year and then went into a journey a little while ago and not feeling like these are so deep and the integration is so amazing. So we've really slowed down. And now if we go in, we really check in to see if we're called because I think for the most part we've kind of gone where we needed to go with the medicine.
0: What kind of medicines do you do today?
1: MDMA is with mushrooms is I find a really good integrative medicine. Possibly high quality cannabis can be a nice combination with those three. And that would be just the odd time and to for integration purposes. And it's also great to do after a bufo trip, I think. To
0: kind of bring yourself down.
1: Yeah. A few days later for integration, maybe if you do that like a a day or two later, you're you're still very much activated to a degree with the dmt 5 in the system. And then it's a way of, I think, integrating it and opening the heart. Although, to be honest, for me, my kind of heart's open already, you know. So, <laughs> it's almost like it's giving me a slight edge. That's about it. I mean, it's just my heart. My heart's pretty open. So, yeah.
0: Talking about heart, tell me... The first time you met Kathy.
1: Oh, this is really cool. I love this. Did you ever read the Celestine Prophecy? No, I've been meaning to, though. Okay. Well, it was really a big book back in the day. And it's about these people that travel down to Mexico and end up with the Mayans down there. And they're having all these wild light body experiences and all these really cool things. But the way they get down there is all synchronicity. So for any of you out there that have been experimenting or not, or you've been on the path for a while, or you're new, doesn't matter, you will start to notice synchronicities. And these synchronicities cannot be planned. And you know something's directing it. Like you're just at the right place at the right time with the right person with doing the right thing. And the odds of that happening are millions to one. And you're like, yeah, obviously there's a power greater than me directing this right now. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it was interesting the way Kathy and I got together because she incrementally came into my life in such a unique way without getting into a lot of it. When I was seven years old, I was going through some pretty intense experiences of abandonment and rejection And I was on a cliff, and I was contemplating suicide. And I kind of was ready to go, and I put one foot forward. And pretty intense for seven, hey? And this energy form came to me, and it was Kathy, her essence, her soul essence, and said, I'm waiting. And I stepped back. That was the first time I met Kathy energetically. And then many years later, she was a big radio personality. She was on the number one talk show in Canada, like they had the morning zoo. She was the only female. She used to do like different characters and stuff. And everybody listened to CKLG. I mean, it was the thing you did and going to work or whatever. So I would hear her laughing and I her laugh is amazing, right? And she's just bigger than life. So she'd be laughing and I'd think, yeah, that's a pretty funny lady. So that was the second time I came around her energy. The third time was when she used to represent CKLG on 649 you used to not get you used to they did it like bingo balls once a week and if you wanted to get your numbers you had to go on TV and once in a while she'd come on representing CKLG or Children's Fund or whatever cuz she was kind of a personality around town so I saw her on TV this was the first time I saw her and then the next time I saw her was at an AA Roundup, and she was the chairman for the North Shore Roundup. She'd been on the committee for five years, and she was reading how it works. And I was with my ex-wife, and we were kind of breaking up. And I was hearing Kathy read how it works. And I was like, oh, my God, I sure wish I was with that woman. (laughs) (laughs) I still wasn't with her yet. And then it was like getting closer and closer and closer she ended up going out with one of my sponsees in AA. And I physically saw her just in the white spot in West Vancouver, I just kind of saw her. So we're getting closer and closer every time. It's weird, right? Synchronicity. It's
0: like the universe keeps bringing universe universe kept together. Yeah,
1: almost, almost, almost. And then I was into, I was separated and I loved to dance, right? I was a ballroom dance teacher as well and I was really into salsa and stuff. And I was out salsa dancing and New Year's was coming up. And one of our friends in the program was having a really awesome party in West Van on the waterfront. Had a really nice house. And a lot of the people from AA were going to be there, including my sponsor. And I was making a decision that night. I could either go salsa dancing and have fun with all that community. Or I could go to this New Year's AA party, kind of wasn't everybody on in AA. It was kind of a mixed thing. And I thought, you know what? I'm tired of always wanting to be in two places at one time. I think I'm just going to be with the people I love. And so I came to the party and it was funny because this guy was a high roller and he used to get model agencies to bring female models. He liked 10 women to every man at his party. See, That's how he rolled, right? And this party was amazing. But I wasn't interested in these girls, right? And they're great to look at, but I just wasn't interested in getting to know them kind of thing. And there was dancing going on on the dance floor and I saw Kathy and I still didn't know it was her, really. And I just watched and I went, wow, I want to dance with her and she had her eyes closed and I walked up to her and I was just dancing and she opened her eyes and there I was. And says, like, oh, it's you. And then as soon as we, got together and physically it was over and that's where I first met her was at this party and then I didn't contact her I think for 10 days and one of my friends said why haven't you contacted that girl you were talking about that amazing woman and I said because if I do I'm done (laughs) (laughs) and he said you should and I did and the rest is history we just after that date we were engaged in three months and married in six
0: so part of you knew that your life would change forever if you did
1: contact her. Yeah, I knew it.
0: And you got married to Kathy 16 years ago. What have you learned about love and relationships over
1: 16 years? Uh, oh, what haven't we learned, hey? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I really think, honestly, that Kathy and I, it's a mystical union, obviously. And we're here dharmically to do this relationship thing with each other and it felt like what we were doing was helping each other to heal our core wounds so that when we got actually married in hawaii on the beach and we made our own vows and we said our relationship will be a sacred one and based on the course of miracles and it will be we'll come together to remember who we are together and The process of the relationship will show us the blocks to the awareness of love's presence as who we truly are. So, we're going to use the relationship to awaken through and support our family and our community. So, that was like right in our vows. And so, we really did dedicate our relationship to the awakening process. And it's been very intense for Kath and I going through a lot of this because. When you're that committed, it was like we were meeting our personal wounds first, like our core wounding patterns with your parents and your childhood and, and all of that. And as we went deeper in, we started hitting systemic, which we've also done a lot of constellation work. And I'm a constellation family therapist as well as a family systems therapist as well. So there's a real scope of understanding in family systems and how things get passed through systemically through your mother and father's lineages, right? And so we started hitting those wounding patterns in the relationship. And then it felt like as we were going into that, we started going into the collective wounding of men and women on this planet. And it's been intense,
0: And to have a partner that you're both on the awakening journey, that must feel amazing.
1: Unbelievable. Well, the gratitude for each other is phenomenal. And I mean, we've gone through so much, Kath and I, and we're at a place now that it's incredible. And we recognize that we helped heal each other of all our sexual wounding, our core wounding. You know, we've been working the systemic lines and the deeper, and we really are at such an incredible place together now. We've really stayed in the fire with each other. We've had our moments. I mean, it gets intense. And we're so glad that we found each other. We know who we are. And we're walking this journey home together. I'm just so grateful somehow, some miraculous way. I mean, if you think of the connotations of the story I was sharing, how we found each other, how does that happen in a planet? with seven, eight billion people, right? You just know it's meant to be when it's like that. Yeah.
0: And that maybe this person, maybe you even knew them in previous lifetimes, maybe for many lifetimes. And that's why they feel so familiar.
1: Yeah, there's an instant recognition of who you are. And I think there's so many of us that are on the path and do recognize each other and have been traveling this plane of existence for a long time together in different various ways, you know, like maybe one lifetime we were lovers, another lifetime you were my dad and I was your son, you know what I mean? Like, it's like starseed pods. And we were always some, not maybe every lifetime, but a lot of them kind of doing these different lives together.
0: Is there any lesson that you would give to young men and women about love or relationships?
1: Well, Doing couple counseling, right, couples would come in, of course, they're going through their paces and I generally separate them and work with them separately. And then when I feel like it would be beneficial for them to come together and they would be able to be responsible for their own projections and their own emotional territory and be in intention with each other about what it was for, rather than a wounding pattern, projecting, blaming, all that kind of stuff, right? And what I do say sometimes to people is, and they talked about this in India, when you get more quiet with yourself and get more of a connection to who you are and you honor that, and when you meet somebody, listen from that place as to how natural are you able to be with this person? are you more of yourself with this person check your heart how does it really feel take your time take your time energetically if you have intercourse with somebody i think they say their somewhat of their energy imprint will stay with you for 3 to 5 years when you get very sensitive be be you know from that perspective if you're on the path if you're just having fun and you're doing your thing and but if you're actually seeking you know, a more sustainable relationship or something more committed relationship. Spend time listening to how you feel with that person from that perspective. And the other thing is you won't really know a person, I don't think, unless you have that instant recognition, that soul recognition, like Kathy and I did. But even then, we still had to get reacquainted with each other and get to know each other. Go through the seasons with somebody. Go through the seasons with them. Try not to jump face plant in right out of the get-go, although I did, but like actually Kathy's daughter said to her, that was so fast, mom. Like, are you sure? You know, with me, right? And she goes, well, I'm old. I've been around and I know what I want. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm older, <laughs> you know, but if you're younger, you know, or even middle-aged, whatever age you are, At some point, you're going to hit some kind of an argument or some kind of a difference, right? Something's going to happen when the pink cloud's gone and the chemistry wears off and now you're getting familiar. It's just the way it goes, right? When you hit that point with somebody and you have a disagreement or you're meeting something in each other that is really an opportunity for growth, where do you go? Do you get closer with that person in conflict? In disagreement, right, or wounding. If wounding comes up, do you get closer with them, or are you contracting and are you pushing away from them? That's, I think, also a really good indicator of whether it's a good relationship or not. And if you get closer and you can work through that, and you know, remain kind as you can be, it can be pretty passionate for sure. But I think that's how you know you've got. To at least a good shot at having a good relationship with somebody. And if you're on the path and you want to use the relationship as a way of awakening, then you need to find someone on the same track.
0: The same frequency.
1: They need to be pretty emotionally mature and seeking the spiritual path to say, yeah, wherever I'm reacting, have I hit a reaction pattern or I'm blocking or contracting My heart from you, that's my opportunity to remove these blockages from opening my heart. It's like the old saying, break your heart enough times till you break it open, and it stays open, because love can handle anything, right? So it's going to take someone that wants to really get in the game with you and are interested in that kind of a path. And they're willing to do that kind of work with you and be that honest, real, responsible, and accountable for their own emotional terrain, environment.
0: And when we talk about love, it's so important to also talk about forgiveness. Because I find that those two, love and forgiveness in any relationship, are so aligned. And I know that you actually went through a process of forgiveness where you went back and apologized to every single person that you've ever heard in your life?
1: The first person I truly forgave was my father. And that was an interesting process of going deep into my own healing and remembering the truth about me and him. And it's kind of, if people are familiar with Ho'oponopono, you know, and The Course Course of Miracles, of course, is to see the highest truth in the other, the Christ in the other, and the appearances aren't who they really are in truth. And to be able to heal myself and forgive myself in what all happened between us, and that was a long process. And I knew I'd forgiven them because I fell in love with them again.
0: So that's when you know that you've forgiven someone,
1: is when you can truly feel love for them. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that you're going to stay in relationship in a certain kind of way, but you just know in your heart that Mm. you're good with that person. You feel, or it might be a real strong feeling of equanimity. It's just, there's no charge. That's not there. But yeah, with my dad, in the end, it was amazing. I felt like a little boy again with him, and I also saw my dad change the last five years of his life more than almost anyone I've ever seen change. After my mother passed and he had time to reflect on his life, he really changed a lot. But yeah, that was the first time I got into it. And there was another person in my life that I really had a tough time with and was able to find that same place in my heart for her and understand that it's like the old saying, I may push the button, but I didn't install it. So if I'm in reactivity, that's the past in this present moment. It's not what's happening right now between me and this person. I'm in reaction, reacting the past. And when we understand that, we can take care of ourselves because it's really a past trauma or a wound that is coming up. If we're with somebody that they're reminding us of it or they have characteristics of it or it was a situation we were in that's repeating itself, right? And it's. Knowing that, right, that's the idea of really being with my own healing process in that, knowing that until I forgive myself and I come into neutrality and alchemy with that, I won't be able to really see this person for who they truly are, right?
0: Because you're bringing your own baggage
1: to it and your own... Preconceptions, Yeah. So the thing you're talking about was in AA, it's part of making amends. We made amends, except when to do so would injure them or others. So, you know, if I had an affair with somebody and told her husband that I, you know, that wouldn't go down so well. So you don't do it to offload. You have to be responsible in the way you go about it, right? But where you can, you make it right. So if I've harmed somebody and I stole some money, pay them that money back. If you know I said something about them that wasn't true, then make that right with the people I said it to. That kind of stuff, so go back and make it right and let them know that I'm doing this to stay sober. And if you wanna be really good at it, you not only make it right, but if you can, you listen and say, and how did that make you feel? And you don't say anything. And you let them offload how that felt. Most people I found were pretty gracious, but some were hurt. So it was like, okay, and... I even went back to childhood where I broke into some stores and this one guy, we built a tunnel into his business and uh, we were stealing stuff from this poor guy. We were young, right? And when I apologized to him and I said, you know, we stole some stuff and here's some money. Can I give you some money for charity or you make it right, right? And he started laughing and he goes, oh God, no, I tried to figure that out for years. He says, (laughs) And he says, now I know what what was going on. So he was just happy I told him, right? And he was laughing, and yeah, it was funny. It was quite an experience, and that spirit's, of course, involved. There was one, I made every amend that I knew I had done. As you develop, you get more aware of how you've actually impacted more people, and you still have to make amends. Because when you start understanding more of what you were deaf or blind or in denial of, when it comes up, you got to make that right too. So it's like clear as you go, right? But there was at that time in my life, I had pretty much gone all the way back to childhood and I felt, you know what, I've done the best I can do here. There's one person, this lady that I would like to make amends to, but she has an alias name and I don't know if I could ever find her. And so I just prayed and said, if I'm meant to, it'll happen, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to. And I was working night shift as a kind of a pool maintenance guy while I was going to school in Burnaby actually. And I always just tired, right? So i go home and just go right to bed. And then one morning I'm going past Trout Lake, that beautiful lake, and the mist was on the lake. And I thought to myself, wow, that looks beautiful. What am I in a rush for? I should go enjoy that. And I parked and I walked into the park to the lake and sat on a bench. And who came towards me walking five dogs? Her. I was like, wow. And I started talking to her, and she sort of—I was sort of familiar, but she had some brain damage. She wasn't the person I remember. And I started sharing with her my immense. She was just looking at me, and then she goes. You seem like a real nice person. (laughs) She says, I think you better let yourself off the hook. And to be honest, I can't remember anything of my past. I've had brain damage. And yeah, I knew God made that one happen for sure. And I walked away, I had tears, and I was free. I was free of that. The important part was I, I completed it for myself. But yeah, when you start doing this process, it's pretty powerful.
0: It's amazing how God lined up for you and for her to meet and to close that chapter for the both of you. Yeah. I want to ask you about aging. You're turning 66 this year. A lot of people complain about getting older, but what would you say are some of the gifts of getting older?
1: Well, it's an interesting question because in our society, eldership is gone, right? Rites of passages are gone. I remember an African lady who used to teach African village, the spirit of the village. She was a sweetheart, but she used to stay in Africa. She couldn't wait to get gray hair because it would meant that she'd be an elder. And elders were highly revered and respected. And we have a different connotation for that here, don't we? It's like we're a society that worships consumerism and idolizes youth. And that's what we've been conditioned into. And there's such a high fear of death. As well. So there's a lot of people frightened to death, literally, of aging and dying, and because they don't know who they are. And they bought, they took the red pill, right, and bought into the whole thing. So I think aging can be scary if you don't know who you are and you don't have that connection to source, and you think this is it, and you have no spiritual connection in your life. Aging is going to be probably a scary experience for you. And we don't have that. This is a body, a vehicle that we get to have this incredible experience through, right? But it's just a vehicle. It's a shell. I I think being human is an amazing process, and aging is an amazing process, and the body changing is an amazing process. Like I'm going to actually go to uh, a. <laughs> a reunion type of party of a, a friend who's going to have all my old schoolmates are going to be there. And I, you see pictures and there's gray hair and fat bellies and everybody's talking about, Hey, you know who died? You know, <laughs> like blah, blah. I always hear who's dying, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. That guy. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. He was a nice guy and so forth and so on. And it's an interesting experience getting older and at the same time, I feel maybe more amazed by my body now than I was when I was younger. How so? Just what a miracle it is, how everything functions, and I feel deep yeah. gratitude for how I've been allowed to be you know in this vehicle, and you realize that the vehicle the body has its own karma. Mm, tell me about that. The body has its own intelligence we are identified with it because they say, I am this body, this is me, I'm this personality, right? But really, am I beating my heart right now? Am I, apparently they had to come up with a new number for, it's septillion, it's the number for the amount of chemical processes that happen in a second in the human body. And it's seven times the amount of stars in our whole universe. The chemical processes that happen in a body in a second.
0: It's like a whole universe.
1: It's a whole universe unto itself. The body is doing its own thing. It has its own intelligence. And we're just along for the ride. We're just along for the ride. Just to appreciate it from that perspective, right? But the ego wants to identify with the body. This is who I am. I'm Paul. This is my history. This is my past. I've been this. I've done that. This is... And where's this I, this personality? If I look for Paul, where is he? Really, where is he? He is a figment of my imagination of a past and a a future and all of it. But really, are we just this aware soul essence that's having this experience and this body is just doing its thing?
0: Are there any lessons you would impart to your younger self if you could go back and speak to him?
1: It was funny, I was in Ireland and I was working for ClearMind at the time. It was where I did my clinical training and we were in Dublin and we were doing our courses over in Ireland and Sweden and in Britain. And we were looking to start some courses in Ireland. And I was sitting with this old Irish guy, he looked like a leprechaun. <laughs> he was a really cool guy. <laughs> and we're doing dieting, you know, and I'm thinking... I'm really kind of spiritual shit a stick at that time in my life. You know, I'm doing all this training and everything, you know, and I'm looking at this old fella, and he's come to see what we're all about and we're doing this diet and he looks at me and he gives me feedback and he says, I've been sitting here with you for, I'm not doing a very good Irish accent, but he says, and the spirit keeps saying to me, tell Paul he's all right. He's all right. That." would be what I would tell myself. There's nothing wrong with you, Paul, right? You're so much more than this. And everything that's happening is happening because it's supposed to perfectly. And your future is going to be so amazing. You'll understand why you're going through all this stuff right now. It'll all make sense. And I know it's really dark for you right now, but there's a higher reason for everything you're going through. And it'll be clear for you later. But I want you to know. I love you. And you're amazing.
0: It's that feeling of knowing that everything is going to be all right and trusting the divine intelligence that is guiding your life.
1: Yeah. And isn't that the thing for everyone? Like, am I all alone? Is there really a purpose for my life here? Is there something greater than me? I used to have nightmares. The point where I got TMJ, I ground down my jaw bones and I would have the worst nightmares to the point where sometimes I couldn't sleep. I was so scared to go to sleep because of all the trauma that I was experiencing. This went on for years, and I did crazy shit in my sleep. And then when it got into AA and I had that experience, I was sharing with you in the treatment center, and I was given a new life. I really was. That was grace. That was pure grace. Well, at that same time, I had the same nightmare i always have and i'm running there's things chasing me goblins nazis ogres whatever and you know if you've had that same experience where you try to fight back and you feel powerless and i'm always like like so scared and running and this time i was running and spirit spoke to me in my dream and said Have you ever stopped and really looked at what you're running from? And it stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, I haven't looked fear directly in the face. I've never, I can't actually say I looked at what I'm running from. And then this thought came over me, you know, I'm so tired of this. I'd rather die than run anymore. I'd rather, but I felt so alone and so afraid. And I stopped in my tracks and I felt my feet plant in my dream. Like I literally felt my feet plant. I was there instead of just this nefarious, nebulous kind of experience. And then I slowly turned around to look at what was coming at me. And it was the usual crazy figures, right? But I was just stood my ground. And as I started to come closer, all these beings showed up around me holding my hand and their energy started flowing through me. And I realized they'd been there all along. I just hadn't let them support me. I hadn't let them help me. I hadn't. I thought I was alone. I thought I had to do this on my own. I didn't realize how much support was actually there. And I felt their love and their support, and these apparitions just faded into nothing. And I never had a nightmare again and a whole different relationship with fear with a sense of being alone so we're not alone we're not alone there's Mm -hmm. a lot of support going on and there's a power greater than us too, guiding everything
0: paul thank you so much for joining me in this epic conversation is there One piece of advice you'd love to leave the listeners with on how they can lead a more epic life. Be yourself.
1: (laughs) Be yourself. That's the biggest love affair you're ever going to have. Because we're taught to be everything we're not, right? And inculturated into how we're supposed to think, be, and act. And so I would say, get to know yourself. And... Just be you. And this is what Kathy would say to me all the time. Paul, just be you. Just be you, Paul. You know, we don't need another Moses or Yeshua, right? We need another James, right? There's to understand that when we get who we are, like really get who we are, it'll blow your mind how incredible we are. And we've barely tapped that, barely tapped it, and it's there in being ourselves that we find strength and a sense of life making sense somehow, and to take a breath and feel safe and feel like we're here and we're okay. Be yourself, and you're not alone. That's what I would say. Be yourself, and you're not alone. Ask for help.
0: Thank you, Paul. Where can people find you if they would like to work with you or come to one of your workshops? Mm,
1: Probably a good place to go would be quantumlife.ca would be our website. And you can sign up for our newsletter on there. We offer different workshops and we do some wild stuff with breath, you know, our Anahata breath. And we'll probably be bringing that in again. And that's like a seven day deep dive process you don't have to do the seven days you could do we and it's a special breath work that we put together a breath we learned in india with quantum touch 12 chakra system and heart activation and our and really going into the quantum field and manifesting the life you want and it's an incredible way to Clear out the chakra systems, come back into alignment, open the heart, and come into alignment with not only who you are, but the future. While it's the present moment, it's what's waiting for you to awaken into, I guess you would say. So it's a really cool process. I'd love to see everybody on that. And if you go and uh, there's a, a way to join our newsletter, and Kathy, my wife, will put out an event, what we're all up to. and If you feel like you wanted to work with me personally, you could also contact me there.
0: Beautiful. Paul, thank you so much.
1: Oh, and thank you for this opportunity. You know, when you asked me to do this, I was thrilled. And I've always felt like such a kinship with you, James. And we've had lots of fun times together. And asking for the bio, it was like that was a great process too. That was a great process. And I feel like I've just barely touched that because if we understand our own bio, really, I mean, no one really likes to do a bio, right? Really, maybe some people do, but to really get into the more of, well, what's the essence of me? Like whoever you are, what is the essence of you? What is that essence? And what are you here to do? And what lights you up? And yeah, what are you living into? Those kind of things are cool, so I think everybody could have fun with that one.
0: It's cool when you look at your life, you can see all the dots
1: connecting in ways that are not perceptible in the present moment. Yeah, when I was doing the bio, I really saw how one thing led to another, to another, to another, and I wouldn't have had that experience or met that person if I wouldn't have done this or that or gone here or there. And. At 65 or whatever, you've had some life, right? And you get to see like, wow, nothing happens by mistake. Nothing. It's all happening automatically. That's the thing. All this is happening automatically. I'm not doing my breath. I'm not doing my heart. But I'm not doing my life either. Something's doing me. And I'm just going for the ride. And it's happening automatically. And I could take a lot of pressure off myself and just enjoy the ride.
0: Just enjoy the ride. Let's leave it with that thought. Let's leave
1: it at that. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. All the best to everyone out there.
0: You've been listening to The James Zander Trip, Episode 3 with Paul Scott. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate every listener that tunes into the podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope it left you uplifted. I hope your spirits are uplifted. I definitely learned a lot from this conversation. And it was such an honor and a privilege to have Paul on the show and learn from his timeless wisdom and his lifelong experience. So thank you, Paul, for joining me in our epic, epic conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with one friend who might benefit from this podcast. I think at this time in the world, we want to share as much of this knowledge, spiritual knowledge, psychedelic knowledge, self-love knowledge with the world and anyone who resonates with this message. So, please share the link with anyone who you think might resonate. And if you want to connect with me personally, visit jameszander.com, sign up to my newsletter and reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what your spiritual path has been like and what your psychedelic journeys have been like. So please feel free to hit me up. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Much love. This episode is sponsored by magicmush.ca. If you're looking for an online dispensary for magic mushrooms, mushroom chocolate, and other high-quality psychedelic products, head over to magicmush.ca and use the promo code JAMES to get 25% off. Thank you for listening, and have a beautiful trip. Hello, beautiful soul. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you learned something today, and I hope this episode helped you in your psychedelic and spiritual journey. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my other podcast, The James Zander Trip, where every week I bring a fascinating guest onto the podcast to dive into psychedelics, mindset, and spirituality. Search for The James Zander Trip on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or visit jameszandertrip.com. I recommend listening to the first episode, where I dive into ayahuasca with my friend Jacob and his wild experiences on psychedelics. And if you want to stay connected with me, join my free newsletter at Jamesandertrip.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, you might enjoy my brand new audio course, Unlock God Mode. Unlock God Mode is a four-week experience where every day you'll get a 15-minute audio lesson that gives you frameworks, tools, and perspectives to upgrade your relationship with life. In the same way that mushrooms give you insights that help you up-level in the video game of life, I designed this course to do the same thing for you. I've compiled every lesson that I learned through psychedelics, through meditation, through my spiritual work, through life. I've put my best tools in this course so that no matter who you are, if you choose to go on this adventure with me, you're going to learn some amazing frameworks, you're going to learn to see life with new eyes, you will improve your relationship with life, and by extension, your life will improve. If you're interested in more details, go to jameszander.com slash godmode, or use the link in the show notes. Use the promo code shrooms for a special discount. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I deeply appreciate you feel free to reach out to me through my newsletter. Go to jameszander.com to sign up. I'd love to connect.